My favourite line from Only Fools and Horses was when Del Boy would assure Rodney that one day they would be millionaires. And of course he was eventually right, but that's always the dream for someone starting their own company. And for those who've made it to the top, what was the journey like? I'm Jonathan Healy, and let's find out. The Red Business Podcast with CompUB. Building your business with premium Apple solutions. CompUB.com. And now on Red Business, I want to talk to somebody who has been through the entrepreneurial mill to the point at which he's helping others who are starting off on their journey. Jerry Kennelly, how are you? Very well, Jonathan. Great to be talking to you. And it's good to talk to you as well. A lot of people will have heard something about you, Jerry. So let, let's go back to the start for the benefit of those who haven't. Tell me about your background, how you ended up selling photographs and making a lot of money out of it. Right. Well, I guess it, it all goes back to uh, uh, to working in my parents' business. They were they were they were photojournalists. They ran a, a news and picture and uh, television footage business. Uh, started in Trilly in the 1950s. Uh, and uh, myself and my brothers were were young slaves in that business, and we uh, we, uh, we we that was our, our university uh, of life. Uh, we went on to launch Kerry's Eye newspaper in, in 1974, and uh, again, my mum and dad and uh, the, the four brothers and uh, a, a few IBM typewriters, and uh, we returned uh, uh, nothing into something, and uh, a lot of a lot of hard work and passion. So I suppose that was the training ground left uh, to, to start my own uh, news and picture agency in 1981 and got into the Macintosh around 1984 and started learning digital digital imaging uh, having been a photographer and, and, and a journalist uh, got into digital imaging and put those together started doing things like corporate newsletters using this new technology uh, eventually I set up a, a pre-press company doing scanning and film outputting and so on and then realized that there was a gap in the stock photography market. Uh, stock photography was done in an analog form that time, which meant there were drawers of, of transparency slides in these libraries around the world, and they charge you a fortune to use them. There was no easy way to see them bar sending you books. Uh, and um, so we thought it would be a great idea to be able to, to license uh, images just like they did software. So um, we put, to put, uh, put 100 really high-quality images on a particular theme, uh, on a CD and uh, charge it 300 quid and let you use it as often as you wanted. So you weren't paying scanning charges every time. Uh, and uh, it, 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 I suppose the whole world at that time, uh, that was around 1996, was moving from, uh, I guess, a black and white and a two-color world to a full-color world. And, uh, you know, uh, the kind of scanning charges uh, that companies like ours were charging were significant. So it's uh, we made it easy for people to, to use photography and that was a great buzz for me as a photographer to be able to, to give the world access to great photography at a fair price. Now, I know that uh, you are a very proud Kerry man. Did a lot of the stock photography, the ideas, the creativity, did it lend towards the beautiful backdrop that you had in the back garden? Well, it did to a certain extent uh, in that we didn't... Uh, we, we, I, I had about about 100 grand of resources that, uh, that we uh, had in the, in the current account and, and in our overdraft. And uh, we, we just did one foreign shoot for the first batch of discs that we did. That was in, uh, in Spain. But all of the rest of it was shot, it was shot in Kerry. Uh, there were our first 10 CDs. And uh, that worked to start with. But then, of course, uh, we realized uh, that uh, we needed to, to invest more in the product. And we eventually uh, set up a major shooting center in uh, South Africa in Cape Town. 
Uh, we shot in San Diego, New York, uh, London, uh, Perth, Australia, uh, and continued to do studio shoots without models. And truly, it, it came down to the fact that you needed the right environment to shoot those those great aspirational images. They're always used models to illustrate subjects like health and beauty and business and uh, and technology and so on. So you needed good-looking people in the right locations in droves because we were... Now, hang on a You're not saying that the people of Kerry aren't good-looking now because that won't go down well. <laughs> well, uh, I suppose uh, we, we needed uh, people who were good-looking in terms of the views of the rest of the world. So, uh, All right. Okay, needed, good save. We, good we, save, Jerry. We needed, uh, we, needed, um, um, we needed that supply. We were the most prolific... Uh, um, stock agency in the world, and when we were investing in all of our own content, we paid for it. We paid all the costs up front, and hope to God we could sell them uh, uh, when it came to, to time to market them at the end of the day. And we built up a really smart business intelligence system whereby we could effectively decide uh, to uh, to make sure that we didn't make the same mistakes again and again because we were constantly shooting. You know, we're spending a million or more on on, on every shoot. Uh, and uh, and then bringing that out to the market through a network of of distributors uh, around the world. We had 130 distributors in 70 countries, and uh, you know that was a a, a fairly breakneck operation, uh, doing probably about three major product launches a year. Uh, teams right across the world uh, collaborating on it. Uh, but I mean, the ideas, the concepts, they were all designed in uh, in our offices in the Kerry Technology yeah. Park in Trinity. And the way you describe it, you're literally taking us on a technological journey from the black and white photograph, from the still, then you had the CD, of course, then it moved online. And and that's where the company really took off for you. That's how you started getting people's attention. Yeah, I suppose the thing is, when we, we, when we launched in 19, uh, January 1997, when we'd made our first products, uh, we launched at uh, Macworld in San Francisco and uh, that was pre-internet, really. To be honest, it was just about the start of the internet. But uh, um, you know, we were the only European company. There were two other uh, companies in the space globally, and uh, one in Southern California, the other in Seattle. And um, uh, it was the start of a, of a real new era in uh, in digital content. And uh, you know, I suppose it, uh, the, the, we we were the first people in Ireland, as far as we know, to sell digital downloadable products around 1999. Uh, and you know that was a that was a new world where you're uh, suddenly you had uh, uh, you didn't even have visibility of of, uh, of of competitors all over the world, and then all of a sudden we're all on the same global uh, competitive stage. Is it true at one point that Bill Gates made you an offer that you actually did refuse? He did indeed. So um, I guess uh, it came to the point in uh, I guess in uh, about 2005 where. You know, we could see that we then started doing business with Getty Images, who are the largest image uh, supermarket, effectively in the world, and an amazing company. And uh, we, we were, they were selling, selling like like hot cross buns, all of our pictures there. And uh, uh, they, uh, we, we could see that uh, you know they were, we were their largest supplier of creative content, and they were our largest customer. And it was, uh, and you know, I could see that it was growing really fast. I mean, we were making uh, across all of our business about two million net profit a month. Uh, but we could see that, that that there was a bubble going on, and uh, that Getty were valued at 38 times earnings, which was a very significant multiple. And not that I knew much about public companies, except I, uh, Dennis O'Brien was on the judging committee for the um, for the Ernest and Young Awards, in which I was a finalist and category winner in 2005. And he sent me a broker's report. Now I'd never seen a broker's report before, 
but it gave all the logic about by by these brokers about how they justified that 38 times earnings. And I honestly thought somebody somewhere is smoking dope. So you know, it was obviously that the thing was in a big bubble, and all that happens in a bubble is it's going to burst. So it was time to run for the hills, really, to be honest. So we we did a, a we, we did a process where we uh, invited interested parties to come and, uh, and make an offer for the company. Now almost every month over the last couple of years of the company, someone new would come along and say, I'd love to buy your company. And I'd say, look, I've got a great job here. I love working on my company. I don't want to sell it. Uh, and, um, but I mean, the, the, the penny was starting to drop that, uh, that it could be a, a very nasty place in a very, a very short space of time. So, so hang on a second. Now, here we, go. we still haven't got to the point of Bill Gates came along. It's coming, so it's therefore, it's coming, the, the world's richest man came along and said, Jerry, how are you? Bill's the name. Here's a, here's a good view, Bob, for your company. And you still said no, even though you knew that the time was right. Well, I guess the thing is, it had to be a process. It had to be a competitive process, Jonathan. So we had a competitive process. We invited Bill Gates uh, and uh, Getty and uh, uh, an, a, another another corporation uh, in, in the States to, to make offers. We gave them a detailed memorandum on why our company was so valuable and how we could add value to theirs. In fact, we actually showed them in a P&L how much we could add to their bottom line and become accretive very quickly. So uh, Bill Gates made an offer, Getty made an offer, and the Jupiter Corporation made an offer. And unfortunately, as it happened, Bill Gates didn't stump up enough cash. So <laughs> we had to say no. Now, uh, I had met one of his uh, senior execs in Southern California uh, a few weeks earlier, and he said to me, he said, Jerry, you know, we do represent the biggest checkbook in the world. Well, I, I said, no, Gary, I'll tell you this. If my mother heard you saying that, she'd give you an awful time. He said, what do you think she'd say? I said, deep pockets, short hands. And that's just how it turned out. <laughs> and very true as well. The che- checkbook was big, but the offer wasn't big enough. Exactly. So you, you, you went on to sell the company. Are you, are you at liberty to say how much for? Yes, it's, a pub- it's public information. We sold the company for $135 million in cash. That's a lot of cash. Um, how did that feel, given, you know, you knew your background, photojournalism, journalism, not a very well-paid profession, as I'm willing to testify to, um, and then selling photographs early, not a very profitable business at the time, and then 135 mil in the bank. That must have been a good feeling. Yeah, it was. It was I suppose it was, it was the equivalent of, of uh, not that you'd know much about it in Cork, but winning it All-Ireland, uh, you know. Just, uh... <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it seriously was. It was. It was a. It was a good buzz, and it was good buzz for the team. And to be honest, you know, I'm not particularly interested in money in itself. I mean, it's it, it, it's it's fuel in for for people like me. But I mean, uh, to think that we took a, a team of young people in Kerry, uh, made them global leaders, and changed the standards of an industry, almost invented an industry. Uh, you know, something to be really proud of. And you know, a great team of achievers, and uh, they all did very well out of it financially and uh, many of them have gone to set, to set up their own business so that's to me that's the biggest achievement we won the All-Ireland and our people did well and uh, they were the better for it you know, they, they worked their absolute backsides off uh, for many years it was really really tough we, we, we all were pushed to our absolute extremes I mean we had teams in Cape Town in Kerry in London in New York and San Diego and in Hong Kong. And, you know, you know sometimes I didn't know whether I was coming or going. You literally couldn't, uh, I literally would never got off planes for quite a lot of the, the, that 10-year that period. And how much of that has fed into what you are very much involved with now, Jerry, which is the uh, junior entrepreneur 
um, and and encouraging those young people. I mean, I I take from the way you talk about your staff, the former staff, those who were with you on the way up, that you, you not only felt proud, but you were like an encouraging parent to them to go out on their own, to do what you did and to, to build something out of something else. Yeah, I suppose the, the, the thing is really, you know, I, I suppose with, with, with the, uh, what we had done in the company was to, was to turn a dream into reality, you know, it was, uh, and, and to make something that was just in our heads in Tralee, all over the world. I mean, we used to go to we used to go to uh, tra- traveling extensively, and you get into the metro in Paris or the tube in London, and you'd see a picture that was like sixty or eighty feet wide that you had conceived six months earlier, or you walk into a shop in in Milan as I did one day and saw our first Time cover, and not even knowing that it was coming, or our first Newsweek cover. I mean, they're huge goals, and that's that, that's the kind of goals that that these. Uh, that, that this this young team sort of achieved, you know, it was it was a, it was a I, I suppose we were living in our own little world, and for a long time, uh, almost to the end, to be honest, you, people thought we were this this company who were up the technology park, who sold pictures on the internet, and almost had a kind of a almost a kind of a dodgy. Uh, yeah, I was going to say they were the weirdos. I don't know what kind of pictures now, but all I know is they're selling pictures. Yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> it was, uh, you know, I suppose it. it, it, it really displayed to everyone there uh, that, that that we had built up you know a huge reputation for good work for professionalism uh, and a lot of personal sacrifice uh, but 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 we were we were living the dream for sure you know and now when you talk to young people and I talk about this a lot on the podcast that you have young people who are coming out of college with an entrepreneurial spirit that wasn't there in my day, probably wasn't there in your day. I'd almost go to say certainly it wasn't when people came out of college, good luck and good night. But there's a different shift now that this younger generation has a bit more in terms of an advantage than we would have had. I, I think they've got advantages in some ways. And I suppose the reality is, uh, you know, coming from the hungry situation uh, that I grew up in and that most of my generation grew up in, uh, you know, it was like you weren't taking that much of a risk, whereas the reality now is most people live in in fairly nice homes, uh, and and they're they're a bit more molly coddled by their parents than I certainly was by 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 the late Padraig and Joan. So I think the thing is, they're actually the li- lifestyle is something now that is a lot more important and a higher priority than it was in my day. And the thing is, you know, uh, the working the kind of hours that that we did was. Uh, people would think it's kind of crazy, but I mean, that's that's really what it takes. But I mean, in terms of young people, I suppose with the junior entrepreneur program, I think what what I'm what we've been trying to do, with my other co-founders and myself, is to actually, I suppose, give give children a chance to understand what they're good at, because there's almost no interaction with the real world uh, by the time they're making really big decisions. There's nearly no summer jobs. You know, everyone's driven to school. You know, it's a it's a it's a much more sort of uh, there's much more luxury. There's much more care of people. Well, well it sounds uh, like you bu- you're buying into the snowflake thing a little bit, are you? Well, no. I suppose the thing is, this is just where they are. I mean, th- these children are 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 sort of victims of of, of their parents and of and of uh, the lifestyle choices that are in Ireland now. But I mean, I think the thing is, they don't get the opportunity. They're they're working for the most part in educate in primary school education in an abstract system that doesn't deal with the realities of the world, whereas. Uh, you t- take some of the young people that we've had in the program now. I mean, they'll 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 have to come up. With, they'll have to meet some local entrepreneurs. They'll have to come up with their own idea for a business. They'll have to justify that to the class. 
They have to do market research. They have to invest their own money. Uh, they have to, to make the product or the service. They have to sell it at School Showcase Day. And there's then they'll have a bloody good idea maths by the end of it. But they'll also have discovered, you know, Jesus, I'm good at something. You know, I kind of, and quite often, they, they, they sort of, the sort of order of merit or the pecking order in a classroom changes because the fellow in the corner, like the, 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 the latter day Jerry Kennedy, who didn't speak up very often, suddenly found something he was good at and he was able to speak up. And he was able to have confidence. He was able to communicate, have a bit of passion about something. And that's what, that's the change it makes in those children. And almost every mm. teacher I speak to as I travel around the 32 counties, uh, meeting, meeting them as I do, it's, it's making a change in the classroom. It reveals a new kind of intelligence, creativity, and, and confidence in those children. And it's sort of, uh, that, that's, that's, what's, that's what makes it worthwhile doing this work and, and, uh, and, and pushing it forward and trying to get people to buy into the process of give, give your youngster a chance. Let your youngster understand how good they can be. And that makes all the difference because they'll be making decisions about subject choice in secondary school and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I think there's, there's a real problem there in terms of people picking university courses and so on with no reference point in reality. They don't have any and, and the, 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 the other point as well, Jerry, is that they make a lot of decisions saying, well, whatever I'm going to do, it ain't going to be here. So we have all of these kids, these bright, intelligent young people who maybe live in rural Ireland, who don't see a future for themselves in rural Ireland, when in reality they could do what you did, which is start a business that became global, that sold for £135 million, and it always was going to be based in Kerry. Exactly, but I suppose it's, you know, it is a different world now, and, I, and I have to, you have to give them credit for that. But I suppose the thing is, the biggest single factor that's going to impact those people, and for the most part I think it's going to be positive, is the gig economy. Now, the gig economy, you know, I could be sitting here in Kilorglan uh, as I am now, and I could be paid, you know, a great daily rate to work for a company in Silicon Valley or, or in London or in New York. But the thing is, that's, that's it. That's, it's, it's, there's a shortage of really great talent all over the world. And I think, you know, that, that means that that's, uh, those, those uh, sort of people in the gig economy can call their own shots in terms of location. So you can be, if you, if you are really competent, and I think that's the core thing, that's the really important reason to carefully choose what kind of training or education that you, that you, that, that you immerse yourself in, that you actually are competent to do a job at the end of it, that you're not just turning out as the result of an education system and you're half-baked and you're expecting somebody else to train you. Because when you're good, you can work anywhere, Jonathan. When you look back at it now, Jerry, and obviously it's not like you've retired, you're obviously still very busy and, and flat out with your own business and indeed with the Junior Entrepreneur Programme. But when you look back at it, and you mentioned your, your late mum and dad, Podrick and Joan, what do you think they would have made of the journey that you eventually undertook? I mean, I'm not sure how much they would have been there for, but where, where they saw you go and, and where you went after, after they passed, would they be surprised? Yeah, I think they, they saw most of the journey. My mum died in 2006. My dad died in 2011. They saw, they saw most of it. I, I, I don't think they were, they were too surprised. I mean, they were really proud, to be honest, and as they are my, my brothers who are a super success uh, running Kerry's Eye as well, doing a great job there with a, a wonderful newspaper. I think they're, they kind of expected of us. They set us up, you know, this, they, they demanded high standards of us. I was, I was apprenticed to my, to my dad as, as a photojournalist instead of going on to sixth class. And and, uh, and 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 going on to, to college, and you know I was pushed very very hard, and uh, 
and as we all were in our own particular disciplines, Patrick was a master of printing. Brendan was a master of sort of of, of commerce and and so on. And I, I mean, just we we just had to make it happen. And the thing is, that's the net result of learning early. And I think that's another really important point. When you get those skills early in your in your teens and in your early twenties, by Jesus, by the time you get to your mid twenties, you're a bloody rock star, you know. I'm not I'm not talking myself up. I'm just talking about the concept of learning early. Whereas if you if you go to college. You, uh, you, uh, for three years, you do your masters. You go off to Australia for a year or two. You're 27 or 28. That complete. I mean, you know, by the time you're any good, you're 30. You might have. A, you may well have a young family, and your the the input, the hours and impact that you can have in your job are lessened. So the thing is, you may never be a rock star. But that's where lifestyle really gets in the way, and where poor choices and the missteps along the way really hurt you, and really hurt your ability to be the best person as a professional that you can be. Start early and start often. Exactly. And, you know, get those mistakes out of the way early, uh, you know, and... Uh, and, uh, and ah, no, I, no doubt you're still, like myself, making fantastic mistakes and learning from them the as you get older. All, all, all the time. But I suppose, uh, the, the, uh, just in terms of, I suppose, getting that core confidence, because it's, it's I think... You know, in any job today, you can't just do one thing. So the thing is, you know, what I've built over the years is, is a set of competencies that strung together uh, give me an int- allow me to do stuff that I'm interested in, basically, John. And that's it. I mean, you know, learning about databases. By Jesus, I couldn't do the job that I'm doing here today if I didn't understand relational databases back in the in the in the 1980s. You know, uh, and I mean, I'm not I'm no rocket scientist. But I can, I can, I can describe and, and I can help architect solutions uh, that I've used in my business all through the years because I understand that, you know, it, it's sort of the, the writing, the photography, the understanding of design, uh, the the ability to be able to sell. They're all competencies, and they're really important uh, to be able to to keep the show on the road. How can people get involved in the Junior Entrepreneur Program if they're interested? Uh, the, the, the website is juniorentrepreneur.ie. Uh, you're, the, it's free to schools and free to parents, but the schools, the schools sign up. So uh, the mums and dads should talk to their primary school teachers. It's, uh, it, 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 it operates in, uh, in for 11 and 12 year olds in fifth and sixth class. And um, it, it, uh, you know, I suggest that it really is a big help in, in letting the ch- their children get the best out of themselves and, and, and start to enjoy things and, and have the experience of, of, uh, of, of being an entrepreneur. And that's what, I, what we say to the children when they've completed this. They are entrepreneurs. They've, they've come up with an idea. They've turned it into reality. They've invested their own money and they've come up with a profit. This year alone, uh, the children had sales of €320,000 uh, on the program in over a 12-week period and a net profit of 230 grand. Now, that's some achievement by 11 and 12-year-olds. Here's to the next generation. Jerry Kennelly, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to Red Business. Great crack, Jonathan. The Red Business Podcast with CompuB Business, improving productivity with the latest Apple technology. CompuB.com. Lots of people in companies are very scared of the board. The board are the ones that make the decisions. The board are the ones that hire and fire ultimately. But should people be scared about the boards and maybe should they consider being on them? Well, my next guest is somebody who has a lot of experience in this area and has launched a new company, BoardsExcellence.ie. Kieran Moynihan, how are you? Very good, Jonathan. Delighted to be here. 
Tell us a little bit about yourself, first of all, because you, you, you have an entrepreneurial background. This is this consultancy, this business that you're involved in now isn't where you started. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So I would have graduated in electrical engineering from UCC back in 91, joined Motorola and BlackRock at the time. In 98, um, together with a colleague of mine, Declan Fox, we launched a telecom software company called Comnitel, built up a team of about 100 engineers that are still based up in the airport business park. Um, went on, raised 30 million venture capital funding, built up the team, sold around the world to mobile operators, and combined with a US and UK company and in 2007, uh, the company was acquired by IBM. Which would have been nice. Software, yeah. Which was great, yeah. great outcome for the whole team. And um, I spent three years as IBM's um, global vice president in telecom software, flying around the world a lot. And in 2010, then decided just to step back from the executive world with a very supportive wife, Kate, three young children. So it was great to spend a lot more time at home. And at that stage, then I took on a number of board chairman roles and would have also taken on the role of entrepreneur and residents out in CIT. The Rubicon Centre. We had some, Rubicon, we had some yes. Rubicon uh, students on the programme very recently. Tell us a little bit about how you got involved in boards. I mean, look, when people think of a board, it's it's like and a group of done. yeah it's a yes. group of mythical people yeah. whose control is all seeing and all knowing. Yeah. It's not that really, no, is it? A- absolutely not. I mean, I've spent eighteen years on boards at this stage, both as a CEO and executive director, and as a chairman and non-exec director. And you know, at the end of the day, the board is simply a team that's appointed to represent the interests of the shareholders and the stakeholders is no different than any team in sport or in business and has a significant responsibility to not only oversee the executive team and the CEO and the functioning of the business or the, the charity or nonprofit, but also to help the executive and management team and the organization itself really add value and doing that in a highly integrity and transparent way. We've had some bad experiences, particularly of late. Uh, Governance is a word that nobody knew anything about a decade ago, and by God, do we know a lot more about it now. Uh, Why were we slow to the governance party in Ireland? Yeah, to be honest, we're not alone in that. So internationally, what happened with a number of our high-profile charity governance issues and issues like OCI, etc., they're not unique to us. They've happened in other countries. But I think what's happened internationally is they're probably a bit ahead of us in the steps that they've taken. Um, I've just come back from a few days in London where I spend a lot of time helping boards there of both uh, companies and charities. And they've really brought in a lot of changes. I think we're making big steps. I think the introduction of the charity regulator. And my experience, Board Excellence have been supporting over the last year a number of charities from the largest uh, to the smallest across the country. And we've actually seen a very uh, strong case of very good, hardworking boards, very well-intentioned. And uh, obviously there's been a couple of high-profile cases, but our experience has been very good in the not-for-profit and charity sector. Clearly, a lot of the boards do want to improve their effectiveness and performance. And in particular, I think they're starting to really open up in terms of transparency because they're funded either by the HSC, by the government, by the public, by corporate donors and philanthropists. And I think there's a new era now of real accountability and integrity happening. What do you say to someone who wants to get on a board and has no idea how to go about it? I think there's two types of boards, obviously. There are company boards 
and then you have non-profit and state boards. And a lot of people often start on charity, non-profit, in some cases state boards, whereby if they have um, a genuine interest, for example, in a charity area, where they would um, go to websites like Boardmatch that help link people to charities, and that can be a very good stepping point. Often what you'll find with company boards that it's, it's more people on the board would know uh, and it's more true networks and mm. word of mouth. You often wouldn't see company board positions advertised. So just to go back to your own venture, uh, board excellence. Uh, is, there, is there a crying demand for people to get the right mix? Do some people look at that group of nine men wearing the same suits who went to the same school and go, cripes, I have a problem here. I better give Kieran a ring. I think what you're finding is that internationally, it's coming into Ireland now, there's a real focus on boards, both on charities and in companies. And there's a lot of questions now being asked ask about just how effective and how performant is our board. And if you're a shareholder or a stakeholder in an organization, I think both in the media and all around, there's now a far growing realization that the board has a critical role to fulfill for the organization and no different than any other team. Um, you know, the mirror needs to be put up to them to help them understand where they're at at the moment. And like any other team, every board has the potential to improve in different areas. Okay, well, it is really interesting. Uh, the website is? BoardExcellence.ie. Okay, Kieran Moynihan of Board Excellence. Thanks very much thanks for joining much, us in Red Jonathan. Business. Thank you. My thanks to Jerry and Kieran and to Neil Hennessy for putting it all together. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and we'll catch you on the next one. The Red Business Podcast with CompuB, Apple technology and solutions for your business. CompuB.com.